0: Good to have everyone here tonight. I'm glad that our young people are back with us. Uh, I know that for many of you, I'm going to have to work hard to keep your attention. I know that you probably didn't get a whole lot of sleep this weekend, but we're glad that you are back. A year or two ago, I was reading about preachers and preaching, what kind of topics they ought to preach on, and an attempt to do a better job of trying to reach those who are sitting in the pews. One of the points that was made in that article was not to forget the little ones. Not to forget that these little young people sometimes are listening, they're paying attention, and they need something occasionally that will perk up their ears and make them listen and draw their attention in. And then just a couple of weeks ago... One of the families here came to me and said, our son was listening to you and said, he listens very well because when you'll put something on the screen or you'll say something, he'll turn and say, what does this mean? What does that mean? When you start thinking about that, we need to make sure that the lessons that we present are easily understood by all and including those little ones who are listening and trying to grow in the Lord. So tonight's lesson is This Little Light of Mine. And I know that every little child, if you even ask them the question, do you know the song This Little Light of Mine? I'm sure you do. It was written almost a hundred years ago by Harry Dixon Lowe's. He lived from 1895 to 1965. And there have been several uh, versions of it, I guess you would put it that way, I remember singing it when I was a little child. Oh, we sang this little Christian light of mine. But uh, the words that Mr. Lowes wrote, uh, the version that he produced, are this. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. No. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Don't let Satan woof it out. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan woof it out. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan woof it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. All around my neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. All around my neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. All around my neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Now... I know that the little kids get a lot out of that song, get a lot of enthusiasm of holding up their little Christian light, but I think there's something more in that that needs to be discussed and maybe for us to appreciate. I want us to talk about, first of all, the text. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read and just look at what Jesus said in that lesson. Number two, we're going to look at the tune, the the points that Mr. Lowe's made in the song that he wrote, and then we want to look at some teaching that you and I ought to draw from it. Let's look at Matthew 5, 14 through 16 again. Brother David just read it to us, but let's focus on it. "'You are the light of the world, a city that it cannot be hid, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that it gives light to all who are in the house.' Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The first thing he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Well, who are the you? Well, obviously, if I'm looking in the context here, Jesus is sitting on the Giving the Sermon on the Mount, he went up into the mountain, sat down, and taught them, saying, and that's where you begin in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and you'll go all the way through the end of chapter 7, and that is the sermon. These are the people who have been following him, listening to him, learning from him, and he's pointing to them and saying, You are the light of the world. For those of us today, those of us his disciples, we are are the light of the world. In Ephesians 5 and verse 8, Paul writes, For you were once darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. When you start asking, Who are the lights? It's the Christians. It's the disciples of our Lord. Philippians 2.15 That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, you you stand up, you shine as a light in the world. Of course, sometimes people think they're lights when they may not be, when they ought to be. When Paul was writing the book of Romans, he looked at the Jewish people and he said, You really believe that you are the lights? He said in chapter 2, verse 19, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness. In the reality, they were walking in darkness themselves. So you are the light of the world. The light of the world. When you start thinking about that, you begin to appreciate the fact that What he's emphasizing on is the sphere or the area where you and I shine, but we're not the source of the light. We're only a reflection of it. It's just like you think about the various uh, constellations that you might see, like the little child song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, how I wonder what you are. Hmm. Hmm. What are these stars that you see in the sky at night? We say, well, they're suns like our sun, and, and they have their solar systems. But each one of them has a different level of brightness, and even the Bible speaks about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 41, Paul would say, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, and one star differs from another star in glory. I think about the moon, the moon has no light in itself and yet at nighttime when you have a full moon you can see almost like day and the reason being is because the moon reflects that light. And so when Jesus said you are the light of the world, we are reflecting to a greater degree or a lesser degree the source of the original light. But Jesus is the true light. He's the one that you and I are reflecting. In John 1, verse 9, or 1 John 1, verse 9, this was the true light that, which gives light to every man who is coming into the world. And then John 9, verse 5, As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I'm here, I'll be the light that men will see. But now when Jesus is gone, whose light do they see? Hopefully, they see the light of Jesus reflected in us. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. That's a simple statement of fact. If you put a city up on a hill, the lights of it shine, and, and you can observe the, it from a long way off, even at night. Cities were built on the hills for safety, for protection. But that also means that as a person would be traveling at night and they would see lights, they would know that a city was near and they would begin to understand the approach. And they'd be visible sometimes from a great distance. Uh, I remember as a child, the first time I went to Huntsville, Alabama, and I remember us coming in from Decatur, coming down that long hillside there at the time and on the old road, and you could see a huge bright light at night. You knew that a city was head sometimes 20 miles in a distance. You can see the, the light of a far off city. But then he says, Nor do men take a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, And it gives light to all that are in the house. The figure that the Lord is using here is what was their common means of light. I meant to bring my little olive oil lamp up here. they were generally about the size of your two fingers spread apart. They're made out of clay and you would have poured in it olive oil and out of the end of that little olive oil lamp would be where the light would come. And they would put those in and around the house at night so that you'd have the ability to see. The word used here for basket is, or a bushel, is the container that was used to cover the light when it was not in use. You didn't want it to be knocked over. You didn't want to spill the oil. The oil was precious. That size of that basket was been, those that have been recovered Have been found to be about two dry gallons of measure. The lights were placed on a lampstand. When you think about a lampstand, they held several lights, so several lamps, so you could be able to see a lot and in fact, Israel was well known for what we call the menorah. But you see each of those little trays at the end of those little arms, they would put a a little lamp, and you would have maybe um, seven, or maybe you would have twelve of those lamps, and you would be able to have a a large amount of lamps. You don't put a bushel basket on it. You don't cover it up. You put it up on a lampstand, give it some height, and put it along with others, and then it begins to shine. So he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Light here is identified as by the good works that we do. That means that you and I reflect the Lord as we do what He did. He went about doing good. He healed people. He provided for their needs. He taught them. You and I ought to have that same sort of light in the sense that we do good to men. But He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. It's not for self-glorification. It's for God-glorification. When you and I do something good, we ought to point toward God rather than pointing toward ourselves. These are the kind of the acts that a child of God does. In 1 Peter 2.12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe Glorify God in the day of visitation. When you live before ungodly people, you live before worldly people, and you say the right things, you do the right things, they don't have anything bad to say about you. What they do is glorify God because you lived your faith. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, verse 14, this is a faithful saying and these things, I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works, these things are good and profitable to men. Verse 14, let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they be not unfruitful. God's looking at us and wanting us to be the kind of people whose lives are marked by good works. So you look at the text, and let's talk about the little tune that goes along with this. See, the lyrics that you and I sing in our songs are important because those lyrics teach us what you and I ought to do and how we ought to live. We will glorify. I love that song. Put God on the throne. Give Him honor. Give Him glory that we just sang. While my light may be little, it must shine. This little Light of mind. You know, even little children soon are known by their behavior. You know, they'll say, Well, boy, wow, that little boy's as mean as a snake. That little girl, she's as sweet as sugar. We, as we get older, people look at us and say, Oh, he's honest. He's good. He's helpful. He's happy. Or he's a grouch. Or she's a gossip. Oh, you see, it's real easy for us to become something bad. This little light of mine, I must let it shine. I can't be the kind of person who says, okay, my light doesn't matter. There's no hiding the light. When I go to the Bible, I find some people who tried to hide their light. John 19 verse 38 after this Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission so he came and took away the body of Jesus. Joseph like Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night were these people who wanted to keep things private. This little Christian lot of mine I am going to let it shine. I'm not going to try to hide from people who I am and what I am. Nor should I want to. Luke nine twenty six. Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of his holy angels. We laugh at the second verse. Don't let Satan poof or blow it out. I remember as a kid we always get a big breath to see who could blow the hardest. Don't let Satan blow it out. Don't let Satan extinguish your light. Satan wants people to believe he's a light. He's in darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Satan should take advantage of us. We're not ignorant of his devices. What Satan would like for us to do is get us over here and obscure our light. Get us away from others or make people think he is the light. All around the neighborhood I'm going to let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. You can let your children go with you. You can knock on a door. You may say, I can't preach, I can't do this. This little Christian light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You may not be able to do it all, but you can take this right here and you can say, you know, three weeks from today, this bald-headed guy, Lonnie Jones, is going to be with us. That man can preach. I encourage you to come and hear him. In fact, we'll even feed you if you come on Sunday. We'll provide a meal and you can come and and you'll be our guest. We'll let you go first. We need to be the kind of people who are letting our light shine all around the neighborhood. For just a few minutes, let's talk about some of the teaching that comes from this. Some lessons that we ought to learn and then the lesson will be yours. Many try to minimize their influence. They may say, my my life's little, it's not important, it's not valuable. I'm not a preacher, I'm not an elder, I'm not a song leader. I'm not a person in front of a group. I'm shy. Okay, I understand that. But everybody has some influence. Paul said to the Romans in Romans 14, verse 7, For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. Every one of us have some impact on somebody else. And that's the light we're going to shine. You would be surprised that once your light starts shining how much influence it does have. Everyone has a, the choice as to what kind of influence he Really has. You know, people develop a reputation. They develop an opinion about you and you about them. And people look at you and they can either see within you a person who is reflecting good things or they can see a person reflecting bad things. Just for a moment, you godly women. Consider the positive impact that a spouse can have. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 7. There was an issue of a Christian married to a non-Christian. And the question come up, what should a Christian do? Should a Christian who's married to a non-Christian leave that non-Christian spouse and, and just say, because you're not a Christian, I'm not going to stay with you? He said in verse 16, For how do you know, O wife? whether you will save your husband. Or how do you know, old husband, whether you will save your wife? I can't tell you how many times I have seen godly women come to church without their husbands. I've seen godly women, the faithful all their lives. And then I've seen some of them see their husbands obey the gospel in the old age. I'm going to tell you, tears flow every time that happens. In First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without the word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. You live that good life, and yes, it does make an impact on people. One of the greatest evangelistic tools, though, is your life. There's a poem that I have loved for a long time. I've published it in the bulletin several times over the years. The title of it is called The Gospel According to You. And I want to read to you the verses of it. You probably just know the last verse or think of it, but listen to all of it. If none but you in the world today had tried to live in the Christ-like way, could the rest of the world look close at you and find the path that is straight and true? If none but you in the world so wide had found the Christ for his daily guide, would the things that you do and the things that you say lead others to live in his blessed way? Men read and admire the gospel of Christ with its love so unfailing and true. But what do they say and what do they think of the gospel according to you? Tis a story, that gospel of love, as it shines in the Christ life divine and all that its truth might be told again in the story of your life and mine. You are writing the gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds you do and the words you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Ah, friends of the Christ, in the world today are many who watch you upon your way and look to the things you say and do to measure the Christian standard true. You're writing a letter to men. Take care that the writing is true. Tis the only gospel that some men will read. That gospel according to you. People are looking at you. Some of you young people are going to school. And people may mock you and make fun of you. But I guarantee you they're watching you. And they're seeing the choices you make, the language you use. Some of you people at work, you may find yourselves in the midst of a bunch of people who are using foul language, participating in ungodly behavior, and you're trying your best to live the righteous life. And there's going to come a day, there's going to come a time when they're going to look and they're going to say, you're the one who I know's life is true. Sometimes profound thoughts come from the mouths of children. In Matthew 21 and verse 16, and he, they and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Little children gathering around Jesus proclaiming to him Hosanna. Don't you hear these little children? Don't you hear their voices? And Jesus said, out of the mouths of babes. Yes, the words sung and the words spoken by our children sometimes can be so true. The thrust of our lives should be glory and honor to God. And we do this by how we live to serving God and putting Him first and being one of His children. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, why not do that? Why not go ahead and make the decision to be baptized for the remission of your sins? If you're a Christian walking in the ways of the world, why not come home? Why not leave here and let your little Christian light shine? We're going to sing number 772, Why Do You Wait... Would you come as together we stand and sing?